This message was shared from the pulpit at Good News Baptist Church in Chesapeake, Virginia. For more information, visit us online at goodnewsbaptist.org. Romans chapter 12. Would you go there with me tonight? The book of Romans and get chapter 12 opened up in front of you. And I hope that you'll gather your thoughts and get ready to hear the word of God. Our hearts have been well prepared through the music and through the uh, opportunity to even fellowship somewhat before the service and even have a few laughs along the way. You folks are a lot of fun and I've enjoyed it and I've noticed that when it's time to, to uh, have a moment of laughter like that, you are much involved. But when it's time to get serious and listen to the Word of God, you lock in. And I appreciate knowing that is true about this church family. And uh, I'm, again, just without words to say how much I appreciate you. There are several passages in the Bible that I guess that you and I would call classic, big passages. You could say, well, Morris, isn't every passage classic? It's the Word of God. And there's no argument here. Totally agree. Without question, the Word of God is a dynamic, I don't mean that in some uh, silly, cheesy manner. It is dynamic in its effect in people's lives. No question about it. And every passage has wealth and weight of value. But you know that there are some passages in the scripture that we have used a little bit more than others and they have jumped off the pages at us and have been tools to communicate the truths that God is trying to communicate. For example, Psalm 23, is that not a huge, big, classic passage? I would say Genesis 1 is certainly a classic, big passage. John 3 Big classic. Isaiah 53. Several passages in the Word of God are are big. Such as the case of Romans 12. And anytime you, you hang out with teenagers, probably somewhere along the way, some preacher, counselor, teacher is going to at least draw attention to Romans 12, and in many cases, preach and teach it and proclaim it once again. As we've said all week, this is not just a night only for teenagers. I'm so glad to see everyone who's here, those of you who are young at heart. The fact is, it was, and I'm I'm embarrassed to, to express this, but it was just honestly a few years ago that it dawned on me that this passage we're going to look at tonight that has been dished out, given out to teenagers from from at least my time that when I was a teenager and through the years of working with young people, it has been given to them. It dawned on me, wait a minute. When the human author, Paul, was given this message, he wrote it to the church. And it was written to the entire church and everyone, not just young people, were to receive this message. The church was supposed to get it. This is a message for the youngest and the chronologically oldest. It is for the church. You see, the first 11 chapters of the book of Romans have been heavily, don't let me bore you with this word, theologically doctrinal. 
has been strong in teaching and doctrine. It is explosive in truth. It is powerful. I love the book of Romans. Most of you would too as well. So many great passages in the book of Romans explaining to us our human depravity, the wickedness of our our life. If you'd like to know what's going on in our world today, go back and read Romans 1 and it will tell you how mankind is collapsing and it gets worse and worse. But without Christ, it comes to that. But Romans goes on to say that there is forgiveness of sin. And we can, as the choir sang, stand redeemed. And as we all sang, no guilt in life. Uh, In Christ alone, I stand. The book of Romans is packed with great teaching. And we come to the end of chapter 11 and Paul makes a Uh, what we'd call a doxological conclusion to that portion at the end of chapter 11. If you'll just look at verse 36, he says, For of him and through him and to him are all things, to whom be glory forever. Amen. Period. End of sentence. End of the paragraph. It could have been the end of the book, but it clearly is not. Because starting in chapter 12, Paul says, because of everything that I have laid out before you, he didn't say in 11 chapters, he didn't write with chapter divisions, but in everything that I've said, all of that, now let's build upon that foundation. So what? So what if all this is true? And it is. Is it just data that's been dumped into your head and you just kind of go around with a bunch of truth that you know about? No. There is a practical building upon it. If you'll notice in verse 1 of chapter 12, look at the fourth word. It's the word, therefore. Paul is saying, under God's guidance, because all of this is true that I've given to you, therefore, this ought to be in your life. Let's read it. Verse 1. I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that ye present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. So many words I wanted to stop and clarify, but let's just keep going. And be not conformed to this world, but be ye transformed, metamorphosized by the renewing of your mind, that ye may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. That last little phrase, the will of God, kind of tells you and shows you why so frequently young adults, young unmarrieds, and young people are often taught this passage. And the question is often asked, you want to know the will of God? And the challenge is given to them, you can know the will of God. You want to know it? God's got a plan for your life. And that is so absolutely true. But it's true for everyone in this room. And tonight I want us to focus on it. 
If you'll notice what Paul starts off with, he says, I beseech you. Don't let that old English word throw you a curveball. It's the word urge. Someone has pictured it as if Paul was symbolically on his knees, pleading, begging people to listen to what he's got to say. I beg of you, I urge you, I beseech you. It was in somewhere, it was just outside of Philadelphia in a town called Adamstown back in 1989 that a man went to a flea market. How many of you have ever gone to a flea market? You know what I'm talking about? It's a garage sale on steroids is what it is. Well, maybe a little bit more uh, dignity to it than that. But I mean, people are selling all kinds of items and there are various booths and and tent-like structures all over this big section of acreage, and it's really kind of fascinating. It really is. And uh, Pennsylvania, I think, has got a lot of them. But anyway, uh, this one man was walking through the flea market, just taking a gander, just looking around, seeing what he could find and locate. And he walked up, and he, 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 his eye fell upon a picture, but it wasn't the picture. He said the picture was kind of dismal and dark. It was a country scene that didn't grab his attention, but it was the wooden frame that got his eye. And he thought to himself, I I could use that. That is a beautiful frame. It's an old structure of frame. And I think, I think I can just get that old picture out of the way and put something else in its place. It'd be beautiful. I want that. And so with, with a little bit of dickering, which you can do with a, a flea market uh, salesman, they went back and forth and they settled on the vast amount of $4. So he said, all right, I'll pay $4. He paid $4 for the picture and took it home. Couldn't wait to start uh, getting that picture out of the way and and just work with that frame. In the process of his (coughs) delicately removing that picture, as he did so, the frame literally splintered apart. It was was gone. And he said, well, there goes $4 down the drain. What a waste of four bucks, you know. He removed the picture and got it out of the way. And then as he did so, he began to feel the picture and he realized something was behind it. And as he began to peel the picture away and began to try to take it away, he found something stuck behind it. And he he reached in there and he, he found a folded piece of paper, as he put it, the size of a business size envelope. He pulled it out, began to unfold it, and to his absolute shock, he found a copy, one of the original copies of the Declaration of Independence. When the Declaration of Independence was signed, 4th of July, 1776, It was taken over to a printer and he printed off approximately 200 printings of the Declaration of Independence so that they they could send it out. George Washington wanted it to be sent to all the the troops and they wanted it to be read. They wanted it to be an encouragement to uh, authorities around as much as they could and so they sent them out. Most of those uh, things are gone. They said that they, we have something like 25 original copies that were made still in existence. This man found the 25th. He looked at it and he was fascinated with it. He took care of it. It was still in good condition. It could be easily read. Well, he didn't know, you know, who was the, who were the parties that took care of it and, you know, who was involved with it. 
He said, this is fascinating. It was two years later that he was showing it to a friend and his friend said, have you ever had this thing appraised? He said, man, he said, you might get several hundred thousand dollars for this thing. He said, I hadn't thought about it. He went and got it checked out. It was approved by the uh, Historical Society. It was one of the original uh, printings, and they put it up for sale, and he didn't receive 100000 or a few hundred thousand. He received one point, excuse me, $2.4 million for that original copy in 1991. Eight years later, it was sold again to a wealthy businessman who paid over $8 million to have a copy of the Declaration of Independence. One of the originals. <laughs> and a man in the flea market said, eh, I better have four bucks for that thing. <laughs> Many of us will go looking at a flea market tomorrow just to kind of look around and see what we can find. That man had no idea what he had. He had no idea what he possessed. Let it go. It's as if that's what Paul is trying to express when he says to God's people in Rome, you don't understand something. God has given you something that is of more wealth, it is of more value than all the money in the world. You say, Morris, where did you get that? Let's pick it back up in verse 3. Look what he says. Why is he so urgent? In verse 3, he said, For I say through the grace given unto me. Now, what's he saying? He's saying, God has gifted me with a grace gift by the grace given unto me to every man that is among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think soberly, according as God hath dealt to every man the measure of faith. For as we, or just like we have, Many members in one human body, and all members have not the same office or function. So we, being many, are one body in Christ. We make up the body of Christ. And every one members one of another, having then gifts, d giftings differing according to the grace that is given to us, whether prophecy, let us prophesy according to the proportion of faith, or ministry, let us wait on our ministering, or he that teacheth on teaching, or he that exhorteth on exhortation, he that giveth, let him do it with simplicity, he that ruleth with diligence, he that showeth mercy with cheerfulness. Paul goes through a brief, incomplete, because there's another list elsewhere, but he goes through a list here of some of the giftings that God gives to his people. What is a gift? A gift from God is a gift to serve him with. Can I give you a definition of it? Here it is. A gifting from God is a unique ability that you possess for service that God has crafted in every true Christian and only in Christians, he did not possess this gift before he was saved or before she was saved. Does that make sense? You say, Morris, I know people who are extremely gifted. No, you may know somebody who's talented. 
may be talented musically. They may be talented athletically. They may be talented mathematically and, and, and a scientific brain, and they're able to do certain things. And that is a wonderful talent that somebody is born with. But until they know Jesus Christ, they don't have this gifting. Now, a person who is gifted of God has got to be, first of all, a child of God. And his gift, her gift, may be married to their talent that they were born with, but it doesn't have to be. You know what Paul is saying to us here? He is pleading with us to understand something. You have been gifted. Teenager, you are a unique creation of God. Adults, you have been gifted of God in a way that, that no one else has ever been gifted. You are a unique created being. You know these artists, uh, this guy that's on... Uh, uh, public broadcasting with hair everywhere. Uh, Bob Ross, that's him. Uh, you knew who I was talking about when I did that, didn't you? You knew who I was talking about. He's kind of a fascinating guy, isn't he? You know, they tell us that those who are, are, are much smarter than I can tell us that the most, the, the three, we have three primary colors. What are they? Red, blue, and yellow. And all other colors come from a mix of those colors. And you can see that painter, he'll, he'll take a little bit of this and, and, he'll, and, and that's what he'll say. He'll, he'll stand there with that palette of, of uh, paints, oils, and he'll have that uh, canvas in front of him. And he'll say, oh, okay, t -t take a little bit of this, take a little bit of that. And he kind of whispers a little bit and he slaps it up there and you can't see what he's doing. But the touch of his craft and his artistic skill, he comes up with this painting with what? A little bit of this and a little bit of that and he, he puts it all together. Did you know that the divine creator... Can, has taken all of the giftings that we read about here in Romans 12. I could take you to another list in 1 Corinthians 12. And when he designed you, when he saved you and the Holy Spirit moved inside of you, he said, we'll put a little bit of this and a little bit of that in that person's life, put a little bit of this, a little bit. There's never been anyone like you. You are a designer's model. You are one that God has created for his name for his glory, for service unto him. This is a big deal. And the most miserable person on the planet is a person who fails to find out why he or she are here. I'm a Christian, going to heaven, Morris. Yeah, I'm saved. But I really don't, I don't know what I'm, I don't know what I'm here for and I don't know what I'm supposed to do with my life. The most miserable person is a person who, I'm not talking about discerning what you should study or if you should go to a college or should you take this degree or should you uh, pursue this job. No, I'm not talking so much about that. I'm talking about being miserable in the fact that you have failed to discover who you are. Did you know that the increase of suicides on this planet today have increased dramatically, especially among our young? In, in, in numbers that, that are just, they're heartbreaking. And it has occurred, I'm, I'm convinced, in many cases because a teenager is frustrated as they check their social media and as they interact with other people and they say, I don't meet up to what everybody else is. You're not supposed to be what everybody else is. Right. You're supposed to be who God wanted you to be. You don't find your identity in looking at the world around you and saying, okay, I'm supposed to act like this. I'm supposed to be like her. I'm supposed to be funny like him. I'm supposed to be smart like her. I'm supposed to be uh, from, from this kind of a background. And I don't have that kind of a family, so I, I'm kind of shortchanged. I'm not as good a person as that person. No, 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 no. You've been created of God. 
And God has orchestrated you, young person, you, adult, to do his work. And the most fulfilled person on earth is the person who recognizes I'm here for him. And God has gifted me to do something for him. I can't be you, and I can't be you, and I can't be you, and I don't want to be that person. I'm not supposed to. I'm supposed to be me under the controlling hand of the Holy Spirit. You've been gifted. You say, I don't know what that gifting is. Yeah, I know. In many cases, not just young people, but a lot of people say, I'm not real sure what it is that God has put inside of me, Morris. Is there a way to find out? Yep, and that's where I want to start tonight. Number one, pursue God's giftings. Now listen, put it on quick because I'm going to go as fast as I can. Pursue God's giftings. You say, what do you mean? Discover it. You say, okay, good. You said it, now how do I do it? Let the passage explain itself. I beseech you, I urge you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God. Let me me take this... uh, uh, card of mine that I got up here. Let me just say that, let's just make this <coughs> as an illustration. Let's just say this is the gifting that God uh, has put inside of me. Let's say I'm a, I don't know, a 16 year old or a, a 36 year old or a 66 year old or whatever. And, and, and I'm hearing this guy up there talking about God has put inside of me something for him. And I don't have a clue what it is. And so because it's hidden, you're saying, I don't know. I don't, you're saying it's in me. Yeah, it's there. Well, how am I supposed to know what it is? He says there, I beseech you, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies as a living sacrifice. How do you find God's plan and God's gifting for your life? One step at a time. One step at a time. What's the first step? Are you ready for this? Pretty simple. Here it is. Number one. Step number one, salvation. He says, I beseech you, therefore, brethren. Then the next phrase, by the mercies of God, because of the mercies of God in your life. Look, this is for God's people. If you sit here tonight and you don't have Jesus Christ in your life, you're not, this is a foreign language to you. You understand English words, but you don't, you're not going to comprehend what I'm preaching on. It's going to sound like, "Eh, I don't get it. In fact, to some people, it may be, it sounds foolish to you. And the Bible says that the natural man doesn't receive the things of the Spirit of God, for it's foolishness unto him. But to the believers, those who have Jesus Christ, you understand where we're going? The first step in knowing God's plan for my life, what is it he's put inside of me? What is it he wants me to be and to do so that I can live, the, I can live life to the max? You've got to be saved and know it. Settle that tonight. Second step, sanctification. Present your bodies. Folks, this is pretty basic, it's pretty simple, but it's the, it's the bare bottom basis of what you need and I need to do to know what God wants me to be. What is it? Lord, I'm yours. You see, you hear the term sanctification, you think, oh, I gotta walk around and I gotta be kind of spooky and, and, uh, and just kind of, you know, just sort of look like I'm uh, somehow another, a member of a monastery somewhere and, I'm just saying, oh, you know, I don't need to really enjoy life to the fullest because that's, that's for the weak at heart. No, I need to hum sounds. Mm, and just go. <laughs> that's not sanctification. That's man's silliness. What is sanctification? It is set apartness. It's setting yourself apart, saying, I'm at your service. I'm here. I give you, and what does he say? Your body. 
Lord, I, here it is. Would you just use it? Here I am. Take it. How do I find what God wants me to be? By presenting myself to him and saying, I'll do anything you want me to do. Now, does that scare you? It should not scare anybody to say, God, here's my life. You can do anything you want to with me. Because God is not in heaven saying, great. Now I've got that kid. Now I've got that church member. Great. Now I'm going to send them somewhere where they don't want to be. And they're going to live in a treehouse somewhere. And they'll have to get up in the morning and take a vine and swing from tree to tree and go out and shoot a baboon for breakfast and oh this God is not going to make life miserable he's saying I want you to live life to the fullest this is going to be life to the max man when a person says I'm at your service There, there, there was a boy in the Bible don't really know how old he was his name was Samuel and he heard God's voice back in the day when they didn't have the completed word of God like we do and God said Samuel Samuel, you know what he said, many of you do. Speak, Lord, I'm at your service. I'm here to listen and I'll obey. There was a teenage girl by the name of Mary who an angel came to see her one time and said, you're going to be the mother of the Messiah, the sent one, Jesus Christ. And she said, behold, the handmaid of the Lord, I'll do it. She was sanctified, set apart. This man, Paul, who wrote these words on the road to Damascus, got converted, got saved. And right after he got saved, you know what he said? What will you have me to do? I mean, he just got right with it. You know, I I didn't know what God had been putting inside of me to do and to be and so forth. I didn't know. When I was in my upper teens, I, I was preparing to go be a, a medical doctor. I thought that's what I was going to do. And thank the Lord for good Christian doctors. And I even uh, thought about maybe I'm supposed to be a medical missionary or something like that. I don't know. But a couple of ladies, we had vacation Bible school in the summer. Do you have VBS around here? All right. You other churches, you may, you know what I'm talking about. A couple of ladies came up to me and said, Morris, we're teaching, <laughs> we're teaching the... Uh, third and fourth grade boys, uh, maybe girls too. I don't remember if it was girls too, but I mean, at least the boys were there. Third and fourth grade uh, kiddos <coughs> in vacation Bible school. And on Tuesday of the week of VBS, we want you to come in and give the message, give the lesson. I said, what? I mean, I, I mean I'm coming to help serve cookies and, and run a ball game or something and have fun and you want me to teach? And they said, yeah. I said, I, I've never done that. They said, you'll do it. You'll be just fine. I said, but I don't know how. They said, you'll find something. Get, get something together and prepare. I said, how old? Third and fourth grade. I said, man, those are pre-people. I mean, I don't even know. <laughs> what do you do with that crowd? How do you keep their attention? I don't know where I came up with it. I, I, I guess maybe I thought I got to do something to keep these kids' attention. And I got in there on Tuesday morning, and I, I spoke on, there's a man in the Old Testament, his name is Balaam, and he had a talking donkey. And so I spoke on Balaam and his talking donkey. 
Pastor Ned, you'd hate this. I went and got the piano bench and I turned it into my donkey and I, I, I put it and I, I rode it in front of those kids and, I, and I, I bounced on that piano bench in front of them. I thought I got to keep their attention some way. Those kids were looking at me and, you know, and, and thinking, we don't, we don't have a real normal person in here. What, what is this guy? I was coming out of my comfort zone, man. And, I, and then I'd get on the floor and I'd look up like I was the donkey and I was talking to Balaam. And then I'd stand up and I'd be Balaam and I'd be talking back to the donkey. I got down on the floor and I, I'd spine, I went back and forth. And when I got through, I said, get me out of here. This has got to be the absolute worst VBS message that's ever been given, ever. When it was, when it was uh, appropriate for me to leave, I got out of that room and made my way to the parking lot. And as I was going, one of the ladies who was uh, one of the overseers of that class chased me down. Brother Morris! I thought, uh-oh. She's so mad, she's going to come yell at me out here on the parking lot. She's going to put me up for church discipline. I don't know what in the world's going to happen. I said, yes, ma'am. She said, that was, that was good. Oh, I said, she's lost her mind. I'm so <laughs> sorry to hear that. She said, would you come back and give another lesson on Thursday? So are you serious? She said, yeah. You know what I was thinking? I'm kind of glad you asked. I want to. I went back and started studying and digging into scriptures and found some more truths that I needed to communicate, went back and spoke again. Went off to college, and in college, somebody would say, could you give a devotional to this group? Okay. We'd go to a, a prison to do some witnessing, and, and, and we'd get the prisoners together, and they'd say, Morris, why don't you preach to them? Okay. We'd go to a nursing home. They'd give me opportunities to preach, and I did it. Asked me to be a chaplain of some group, and so I'd, I'd speak. You know what I found out? I was getting opportunities. You know, you know what was happening? God was beginning to show me something. He began to show me what he had put inside of me. And I found myself saying, now Lord, I told you I'd do anything you want me to do. And you keep exciting me about this preaching thing. And Lord, I don't know if that's what you want me to do. I don't know if I can do that. Lord, you, Lord please stop this if you don't want me to do this. It just kept coming. I said, now, Lord, you know I'll do it if that's what you want, but I don't want to get into it if that's not what you want. Now, Lord, please stop me. Now, Lord, you're going to have to stop me. I'm going to go down there and tell them I'm changing my major. If you don't want me to change my major, stop me. Okay, I'm going to do it. And if it's not what I'm supposed to do, it's not because I didn't tell you. I warned you. Who was I fooling? God said, Morris, I put the desire in your heart. Now I'm going to let you do what I put inside of you. Why? Because as a young man, I said, at your service, I'll do anything. How do you pursue God's giftings? Hey, church member, you're not an observer at church. You're, you're not an audience. We're an army. An army to sign up to say, where do I serve? What do I do? You say, Morris, I could never teach. Okay, okay. You say, Morris, I just want to help with, I just want to be behind the scenes. Oh, thank the Lord for helping hands of people who thrive on that. We couldn't function in our churches without you. 
You say, well, I, I'm, not, I'm not able to do anything in a public setting and stand up and do things. I, I would get nervous even praying out there with Pastor Brown and the children tonight. I don't think I could do it. Fine. But what is it that God has put inside of you? Make yourself available. Have you ever done that? Hey, young person, let me just hasten to say this. Would you be willing to consider tonight? Please understand my heart. I don't want to mislead anybody. But is the Lord talking to any young person in this building tonight? Speaking to you about ministry. Could it be that the Lord is saying, I want you in my ministry. I want you in my service. And you find yourself thinking, you know, there's parts of the world I'd love to go get the gospel to. I wonder if God wants me to be a missionary. Have you ever told him? I'll do it if that's what you want. Is there some young man that says, I'd love to do what you're doing someday, mister. I'd, I, I, you know, I'd like to do what my youth leader does. I'd like to work with teenagers. I remember that feeling. I remember in high school hearing a couple of uh, kids asking teachers some questions. That they, they were serious, life-important questions, and the teacher hem-hawed around, didn't know how to give an answer. And I remember thinking, I wish they'd come ask me. I don't know that I'm correct, but I've got a, a biblical view here that I, I, I'd like to share with them. And God was putting inside of me a burden for you, your outfit, young people, teenagers, trying to help them. I've done it now for 46 years as best I can. Is there any young person here tonight that would say, you know, Morris, I, I don't think it's ministry. God just wants me in some area of, of uh, you know, military or business or something else. Or, but I don't think it's in what you call full-time Christian service. Fine. Find what God wants you to be. Don't go into ministry if that's not what you want. But I just wonder tonight, is there somebody who's hearing that little nudge, that little push, that voice that God gave to Samuel, that message God gave to Mary, that message he gave to Paul when he said, what will you have me to do? Would everybody in this room be willing to say, I'm at your service, whatever you want. Pursue God's gifts. Number two, Paul tells us to protect God's gifts. Look at verse two. And be not conformed to this world, but be ye, and that word transformed is written in a way that means continually in the process all the time being transformed, metamorphosized by the renewing of your mind, changing the way you think, that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. Paul is saying here, you, you've been gifted of God. You've been given something, and it's got to be protected. Don't waste your life pursuing the age. Be not conformed to this age, this world. This world with all of its superficial values, with its lifestyle suggestions. Don't let the world dictate the direction of your life, but be continually and progressively changed as you mature into more and more Christ-likeness, focusing on living to God's glory. That's what he's saying here in verse 2. Protect it. I mean, just watching over it. Does it really matter? Does it really matter who you choose as friends? Absolutely. Does it really matter what you choose for entertainment? Absolutely. Does it really matter if you're faithful to hear the Word of God on a regular basis at your local church? 
Does it really matter if you're in the Word of God hearing the voice of God speak to you? Does it really matter if you have a prayer life? Does it really matter if you, if you, uh, uh, if you think on just, uh, on, on just things that would be pure and decent and right? Or could you just look at anything you want to and think on anything you want to and still say, I'm a Christian, this is the age of grace. Does it really matter? Absolutely. For a lot of reasons. First of all, you've been commanded to live that way. Number two, you've been gifted. He says, don't, don't, lo- don't lose the plan of God for your life because of being shaped into this age. Young people, the greatest thing I can tell you tonight is this. God's word is just as relevant today as it was in the days when I was a teenager or your parents or grandparents or in the days when Paul originally wrote it. This world is continually pulling at you and me, striving to get us to get off of God's path. And he whispers, you'll be miserable. You can't do what you want to do. Okay, okay, go, go ahead. You go ahead and do what God tells you to do. But I'm just telling you, there's a lot of things you can't do. You know, the devil whispered that to Eve in the Garden of Eden. He said, God, God said that you couldn't eat off this tree? Psst. You know what Eve should have said? She should have said, Satan, quit showing me this one tree with the skinny neck on it. I mean, quit trying to show me this one tree that I can't eat off of. I live in a garden. My God's given me everything to enjoy to the fullest. And you're trying to get me to focus on one thing. Does this sound like a mean God to you? Psalm 37 and verse 4, Delight yourself also in the Lord, and he will give you the desires of your heart. Jesus said, I have come that you might have life and that you might have it more abundantly. Friends, I want to tell you something. God is good always, only, always good. Don't let the devil convince you that you're going to be miserable if you surrender everything to him. How do you protect what God's given you? By keeping your life clean, by keeping your life right. It's called sanctification. It's called separation unto him. There is the negative side. That is the side of things that you stop doing because of its sinfulness and its spiritual drag on your spiritual development. But there's the positive side in the things that you pursue in order to be more holy, to be more like Christ. There may be some websites you need to stop going to. There may be some people you need to cut off a friendship with. I don't mean rudely and unkindly, and I don't mean that, but they're not helping you spiritually. There may be some... Some programs watched on TV and movie rentals and watched and downloaded. There may be some music changes. There may be some other things. Why? Well, let me tell you what the Bible says in Ecclesiastes chapter 10. It says this. Dead flies cause the ointment, that's a perfume, of the apothecary, the the guy, the perfumer. Dead flies cause the ointment of of the apothecary to send forth a stinking savor. So does a little folly him who is in reputation for wisdom. You say, Gleiser, I don't get that. Bible is saying you can can open up your life to a little bit of sinful behavior and thoughts and words and activity and little dead flies will come in and will infect your life and change your thinking. And the next thing you know, your testimony 
It stinks. It's ill-effective. It's not doing what God called you to do. Paul told Timothy to live in such a way that you would be a vessel fit for the master's use. Don't waste your life. Don't go down the pathway that gets you on the wrong path. Listen, when I was in, when I was in school, sports was just so important to me. And I remember in junior high school, our coach kicked off the team, this guy who was incredibly good. I'm telling you, he was, our ta- he was our tailback, our halfback. We'd take the football and just pitch it over to him one way or the other. And once he got past the line, he was gone. You just couldn't tackle him. He was bigger than everybody. He was faster. He, was, he had this quick twitch muscles to him. He just, he'd almost laugh at people who tried to tackle him. I mean, he really was. I don't know if, if it was because he was in the eighth grade for the third year in a row. I don't, I don't know if that played into it. We went home on the school bus. He got in his car with his wife and children. But other than that, not really. Our coach kicked him off the team, and I was stunned. The team was stunned. We needed this guy, and the coach told us later, he said, fellas, the reason why I kicked him off, he says, I told you at the beginning of the year, I'm not going to have anybody on our team that's going to mess around with alcohol and drugs. And he called the boy's name out and he said, I have discovered that he's been hanging out with a bunch of people who, who he, he goes off uh, and, get, and, and, and he's messing around with liquor and he's messing around with weed. He's just ruining his life. He goes, I'm not going to put up with it. I was grateful that even in the public school, our coach said, we're not going to do it. I was grateful for that. And as the school year progressed, I'd looked at that boy who had more talent in his little finger than I had in my whole human body. And I thought, man, what a waste. Messing around with the wrong crowd and messing around with all that stuff. We need you on the ball team. Man, what, what a future you could have had. I'm going to tell you something. Magnify that thousands upon thousands of times and you'll come maybe a little closer to understand what Paul is saying. Don't waste your life. It's not talents. It's gifting what God wants you to do for him. Protect it. Pursue it. And finally, perfect God's giftings improve it take what God's gifted you with and perfect it you say how well look at the passage he tells you in verse 3 don't think highly of yourself don't don't walk around thinking you know like Barney Fife you know this church couldn't function without me you don't know Barney Fife but everybody else does (laughs) Don't think highly, don't think too highly of yourself. He also says, don't think too lowly of yourself. He says there in, in verse 5, so we, being many, all of us are different, are we're, we're all a part of the body of Christ. Look at this. And every one members one of another. In other words, he's saying, hey, folks, don't try to be like somebody else. We need you to be you. We're all members one of another. I need every one of my fingers, I need my ears, I need my liver, I need all these things functioning and, and going on in my life, and you do as well. And I don't need to be something that I'm not. <laughs> so don't think lowly of yourself, don't think highly of yourself. Be yourself who God wanted you to be. And then he says, beginning in verse 6, having then gifts that are different, differing according to the grace that's given to us, look at this, 
Whether prophecy, now look at let us prophesy according to the proportion of faith. Or if it's ministry, let's wait on our ministering. Okay, I could go through these words, prophecy and ministry, teaching, ex- exhortation, uh, giving, uh, ruling, showing mercy. All right, I, those all deserve a definition, but we're trying to keep moving here tonight. Let me just say this to you. Paul is saying here, no matter what it is that God has put together and, and designed and, and crafted in you, He's saying here, get with it. Start doing it. You say, but Morris, I don't, I don't I, you know, it's hidden. I don't know what God's put inside of me. I, I don't understand. Here's where you do it. Start serving. Go and go find a place to serve. You know what you'll find? You'll find yourself leaning toward those interests that are in your heart. And you'll find those things that are of great interest to you. And you find a place to serve, whatever it may be. Just start finding a place to, to serve the Lord. And as you serve, you'll find yourself striving, striving to please the Lord with your life. And you'll look at your life and you'll say, oh, okay, that's, that's what I am. Because I'm trying to live for God. Okay, that's what he's giving me to be and to do. He's saying there, if you've been called, to, if you're in prophecy, then preach. If you're called to, to teach, teach. If you're an exhorter, exhort. If you're a, a giver, do it with liberality. If you're an administrative, uh, capable person, then get with it. Serve. Rule that way. He's saying serve. In other words, the inference here is a, is a statement that we're to exercise our gifts accordingly. How do you improve what God wants you to be? Just serve. How does a pianist get better? I mean, just work at it. How does, uh, how does a, uh, a machinist get better at his uh, new equipment? He just keeps working at it. Reading up on it. How does a, how, how does a, uh, <coughs> a musician, how does a teacher, how does anybody get better at their interest? They keep working at it. How do you perfect God's giftings? Just start serving God. Don't, be, don't just sit back and soak up words from the church and the pastor and everybody and get up and say, that was interesting. Now let's go get something to eat. Let the Lord take you to another level and say, God, here I am. Use me. You know what will happen? You'll find, that you'll find yourself what you do, what you're doing. You're do, here's the way we ought to be doing it. You're doing it for him. Not for me. Not for pats on the back. For him. Not only for him, let me give you five prepositions, sorry to bring grammar up, Uh, for him. And you're doing it, I love this, with him. You see, you're not alone. The Spirit of God's inside of you and as you serve the Lord, he's right there with you. You're, You're not out there trying to do this by yourself. You're doing it for him, with him. Thirdly, like him. You see, when Jesus was here on this earth, he was the he was the body of Christ in fullness. God in its fullness. And you and I get to make up a part of the body of Christ. You get to be like Him. So I do what I do for Him. I do what I do with Him. I do it like Him. And number four, I do it unto Him, to Him. Jesus said in Matthew 25, when you give a cup of cold water or you clothe that one who's unclothed or you visit the needy, it is as if you did it Unto me. You did it to me. So when you're serving the Lord, you're doing it to Him. And now let me give you one more. Why do I work for Him, with Him, like Him, to Him? I'll tell you why. Because someday we will stand before Him.
And I'll be able to say, I hope I took what you gave me. I, could, I couldn't be what somebody else was. I wasn't supposed to be. I didn't want to be. I took what you gave me. And I did it for you. Here's my life. And the only thing I want to hear him say. Well done. My good and faithful servant. Well done. I love baseball. My dad loved baseball. My dad taught me how to play baseball. My dad always wanted me to be an infielder, particularly a shortstop. I still, I still, it's not the most important position, but I've always felt like shortstop's most important position because my dad did. My dad taught me how to field grounders and what to do with the ball. He taught me so much. The first team I could be a part of was when I was eight years old. And uh, my team was called the White Sox. We all had these major league names. If you've ever gone to a little league game, you know it can be quite humorous. I mean, eight-year-old kids out there, you just, you know, they're easily distracted. You're out there in the field, and, and you're trying to distract the batter. It's kind of, kind of unkind in this politically correct culture, but you go, hey, batter, 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 hey, batter, batter. You're trying to mess with his mind, and as the ball comes, swing, you know, trying to mess him up. It's really kind of fun And as you're out there. But a little eight-year-old boy out there, I was out there at shortstop, and I'd be at my position. And we were playing one day the Red Sox. So it's the White Sox against the Red Sox. And, 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 and eight, 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 uh, eight, uh, eight-year-old boys can, can watch somebody outside the fence go walking by with a, with a snow cone. And you're going, hey, bada bada. And you just start, you know, thing. I want, and the ball comes and hits you in the head. So you've got to stay focused. You know, the attention span's not real long. As we were playing this team, the first batter, I don't remember how he got on base, but he got on base. He was on first base. Well, my dad had taught me. He wasn't the coach of the team. But our coaches had also told us, on every pitch, fellas, you need to be thinking, what am I going to do if the ball comes to me? Well, I was thinking, if the ball comes to me, I go to second base with it because I got to get that guy that's on first base. I got to get him out before he gets to second base, before he rounds the bases and gets home. We got to stop him from scoring. You know, if you understand baseball or softball, you understand these things. So I was thinking, I hope that ball does come to me. Well, the next batter came up and he swung and the ball did come to me, but it was not on the ground. It was in the air as a fly ball. Well, that changed everything, the dynamic completely. First of all, I had to catch it, which was not always a given. And then secondly, I had to make sure nobody else was going to run into me. I just started screaming, I got it. I got it. (laughs) I hope. I got it. (laughs) And out of the corner of my eye, I saw that guy that was on first base, the Red Sox, run down to second base. Well, another thing you got to know is that if the fly ball is caught, you got to get on your base. And I figured maybe he just lost track of where the ball went. He just, he just came running down to second base. And I said, he, he's making a mistake. The ball came down, landed in my glove. I caught it. I looked at him. I threw it back to our first baseman. He caught it. That was a miracle. And then he stepped on the first base bag. The most surprised man on the field was the umpire. Remember, we're eight years of age. He pointed at me. He pointed the first baseman. He said, Double play, two outs. Well, look, when our team got one out, we almost threw a party. I'm telling you, it was a, it was a big deal. So we got a double play. That was a huge matter. Our team went crazy. 
I mean, hats went up in the air and ball gloves and our coaches were, woohoo! that is so good. The guy in right field who never paid attention, that's why he was in right field, uh, he, he, he started looking around saying, what, what happened? And, and, uh, and, and all this was going on and, 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 and it was fun to hear the laughter and the applause and the hats and the gloves and everybody was so excited. But there was only one person I cared about. And he was over there in the bleachers. I wanted to know what he thought. The one who taught me how to play. I looked at him. He was standing. If I live to be 180, I'll never forget it. He was standing on the top rung. Because when that ball left the batter's bat and was coming toward his boy, he stood up to watch. As he stood there, he smiled (laughs) in a huge way, lifted his fist up and went. And that's all that mattered. It's nice when somebody says, Hey, thank you for that Sunday school class message. That was, oh, thank you for that solo. Hey, thank you for your ministry. Those are, those are fine. Those are wonderful. But friend, one of these days, you're going to stand before him. And he's all that matters. Forget about pleasing everybody else. Say, God, I give you my life. What do you want me to be? What do you want me to do? I'm yours. Have you ever done that? Maybe tonight you should. Let's bow our heads for prayer. First step of knowing God's plan for your life is salvation. Have you come to know Jesus personally? Do you know if you died and took your last breath tonight that you'd be with the Lord in glory? Do you know that? You say, I'm not real sure, Morris. Then you should be. Can I pray for you? I'd love to talk with you. I'd love to let you talk with one of the pastors. You say, I'd be more comfortable talking to them. Great. Come to Jesus. The most fulfilled life in the world starts with the first step. Salvation. The most miserable life is one that misses God's plan. God is not willing that any should perish. You say, Morris, I'm really not sure I'm on my way to heaven. Could you pray for me? If you understand this, that my prayer won't get you into heaven, I can't get you there. I'm not praying your prayer of salvation. But if you're concerned about it, would you lift a hand and I'll see it? You say, I'm not real certain I'm going to heaven. Preacher man, Don't worry about the kid sitting next to you or somebody in the back or somebody in front of you. We're talking about eternity. I'm looking carefully from side to side. Pray for me. I'm not sure I'm going to heaven. Anyone? Okay, friend, thank you. I'd be glad to pray for you. See, I didn't embarrass this one. I won't embarrass you. Who else? Can I pray for you? I'm going to pray right now. Father, I pray for this sweet individual. I pray that you'll help them to get the courage to do the right thing tonight. Let them take care of the most important decision they will ever make. 
to come to Jesus and ask Him to be their personal Savior. It'll affect their future marriage. It'll affect their future life. God, I pray that you'll encourage this individual with your courage. Bring them unto yourself, I pray. Is there anyone here tonight that would say, Morris, tonight as you preach, I've, I've got to be honest with you, I felt like maybe the Lord is speaking to me about ministry. And I don't want to miss God's plan, but I want God to know that I'm willing to go into the ministry. Now, that, you know, a lot of times a teenager says, oh, I'm willing, I'm willing. And I know that, I'm grateful for that. I'm asking for anyone here tonight. There may not be anyone, but there, if there is someone that would say, Brother Gleiser, I really believe God wants me in ministry to some degree, some way, some place. And I need to tell the Lord tonight that I'm willing to do it. If that's so, would you lift up your hand? Who'd say that? All right, thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you. Super, wonderful, 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 wonderful. God bless so many. Okay, good. I'm no, I know that that nudge from the Spirit may be at varying degrees in different lives. <clears throat> I'm not the one to tell you the plan of God for your life, but the Spirit of God can. You stay right with God. Would you stand all the, over the building? Let's just stand. <clears throat> you can look this way. You have been absolutely fabulous. Let's do this tonight. I'm going I'm to pray. There's at least one person here tonight I've prayed for already who says, I'm, I'm just not sure I'm going to heaven. Would you pray for me? And I did. I kept my promise. Not embarrassing you. We're going to have what's called an invitation. And I'd like to encourage you while others are praying to just leave your seat. And there'll be a pastor here. People will have their head bowed. You just simply slip out <coughs> and come to one of these pastors and, and say, I need help. They'll know exactly what you mean. If uh, we'll have a lady talk to ladies. We'll have a man talk to men privately. No one's going to force you to do something you don't want to do. Don't go away without Jesus tonight. Those of you who said, I believe God is dealing with my life about ministry, you need to tell the Lord tonight. Young people, can I plead with you to find a place to kneel tonight and like Samuel, just say, I'm at your service. I'll obey. Speak, Lord. Uh, like Mary, behold the handmaid of the Lord. I'll do it. Whatever. Just come and, and sanctify, set yourself apart. You say, what if I'm the only one from my group? Then be the only one. You heard the voice of God. Don't worry about anybody else. Do what you're supposed to do. This is, I'm not working on emotion. I'm telling you, this is the truth. You will be the most fulfilled person by finding God's plan for your life. To God's people tonight, there may be something that's causing you to have a drag on your Christian life. Find a place to spend time with the Lord and say, God, I need to get everything out of my closet and be clean and holy because it does make a difference how I live so that I can protect what you've given me to do. And Lord, let me serve you to the fullest and perfect your gifting. Young person, if you'd like to even have a seat and pray and say, God, use me at my home church, do it. Do it tonight or get on your knees. Feel free to do so. I'll pray. Ask folks to respond, young people in particular, for salvation and for the matter of saying, God, here's my life. You can have me. Let's bow our heads for prayer. Father, finish this service with your help. I pray that you'll help young people, many of which said they believe that you're nudging them toward 
your ministry. God, thank you for that. We want to, we want to be able to say, I'm available to you. And God, I pray that you will help us to find out. May these young people discover your gifting in their life as they surrender their life to you. Be with everyone from the <coughs> front row to the back, from one wall to the other. May there be a heart of surrender and availability to you so that when we see you, we'll hear you say, Well done, my faithful good servant. We ask it in your blessed name. Thank you for listening. If you have questions about your relationship with God or you would like to know more about the ministry of Good News Baptist Church, you can visit us online at goodnewsbaptist.org or call us at 757-488-3241. We trust your heart was challenged as you listened, and we want to encourage you to share this message with others. May the truth of God's word be your guide as you strive to follow Christ and make him known to others.